Welcome to Everyday Greatness, a nice little show proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group, one of Australia's greatest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness is a show hosted by a real human being, talking to some real people about real human issues that will help make you feel proud again of simply being a good solid Joe Bag of Donuts. Here's your host, Barnaby Howarth. Welcome to Everyday Greatness, and thanks for listening. This is a show designed to celebrate the greatness inside everyday people. So grab a drink, kick your feet up, and settle in. Before I start today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of Australia. I think acknowledging Indigenous Australians is more important than just reading from a generic, impersonal script. So I'd like to honour our traditional owners from the heart. I love being an Australian, so I'd like to acknowledge those who came before us, those who share their land with us today, and those who follow us. Some of the things that have happened in this country in the past embarrass me as a white Australian. So I'd like to acknowledge I feel horrible for any pain that's been caused. But I'd also like to acknowledge how beautiful your culture, your past, your place in today's society, and your future are. Thank you for sharing your country with us. I want to make a special mention today of our episode sponsor, who is an individual human being, Sam Moston. I asked Sam if her business would like to sponsor this episode, but she told me, I want to sponsor you personally. This is me backing you and what you are doing. Sam helped Prime Minister Paul Keating on the Sydney Organising Committee for the Olympic Games in 2000. She was the first female AFL commissioner and she's just stepped down from the board of the Sydney Swans. So Sam is kind of a big deal in Australian business and her decision to sponsor this episode personally has made my head so big I need to walk our doors sideways. Thank you, Sam, for backing Everyday Greatness. Just being good in Australian business these days doesn't seem like it's enough anymore. People look like they need something extra, more strength, more ruthlessness, more aggression, some mystical X factor that sets them apart from the competition and makes them better than good. There are so many different options to be an effective business leader today. Their authentic leadership is now a desirable trait There are so many people out there who are trying to be somebody they're not. So just being yourself these days is seen as an achievement. There's a lot of white noise and distraction in business leadership. In the interest of transparency, I should state here that I've never been a business leader myself, but I have worked for a lot of people. So I hope I have a leg to stand on talking about business leadership. The role of a business leader is to make their team operate at its highest potential. So their organization is led to business success and increased profits. It's a pretty simple equation. So why overcomplicate it by trying to be somebody you're not? Just being authentic these days is a brave thing, especially as a business leader. But those who do it and do it well are respected by the people around them. They say good things happen to good people. Some people try and look good because they think it might bring them recognition, 
good jobs and awards. Other people just do good because it's the right thing to do. State sales manager at Medtronic Diabetes Australia, Lee Johnston, is just a flat out nice lady. And she's nice for no other reason than that her mum and dad in New Zealand told her that it's good to be nice. Lee is now a highly regarded manager at a world leading medical technology company, Medtronic. And she recently won the ANZ People Manager of the Year Award at a business leadership event. Lee hasn't changed her personality to chase success. She's stayed herself and success has found her. Just trying to be a good person in business is unnerving these days because it's altogether intangible and immeasurable. But as Lee Johnson proves, good things do happen to good people. Lee, thank you for joining me on Everyday Greatness. Thanks for having me, Barnaby. (laughs) So how did you end up working for a huge medical technology company? Did you ruthlessly drag down your competition, suck up to decision makers and make a scene if things didn't go your way? Or did you just try your hardest and have faith that things would work out? Look, um, I started as a chiropractor. I've always had a passion for science and helping people. And um, my mum was in pharmaceuticals, so I followed her path into pharmaceuticals and I found a passion in diabetes. Um, So I was working for Sanofi and Lantus at the time when my beautiful niece, who was five at the time, got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and it just changed my journey. I have a passion to change lives for those living with diabetes. And so um, I went on a big um, research and um, found a lot of people on insulin pumps and Sophie went on to an insulin pump and then I wanted to work for Medtronic. So I reached out to them and... um, to explain that I want to work for them no matter what the role is. And so I went into an Asia-Pac training role and that was seven years ago, seven and a half years ago. Very lucky niece. It yeah. must be a really exciting time in diabetes management right now with technology going ahead in leaps and bounds. Where's the world currently at with diabetes management, with insulin delivery and continuous glucose monitoring? I think it's a hugely exciting time. I think in, in some of the other business units have come a long way and already, you know, the technology's there, but diabetes, it's, it's just beginning. And I think, you know, automation is going so fast now. And I think in the next five to 10 years, it's going to be a different game. And I'm really excited. And the reason I do this job is just purely for the patients. And, and, and I just can't wait to see, you know, the automation and, and making life easier for them. It is pretty cool. How much peace of mind can technology like this bring to a family with a young diabetic child? So much peace of mind. I think you know yourself, Barnaby. It's it's um, if you know you can just take away some of those decisions and burdens, then it's just hugely beneficial. And I liken type one to having a newborn baby, but forever. And so it's like any decision you can take off them to help them live their, you know, their potential life and actually just have a normal, you know, um, mother, dad, daughter, son relationship. So I think it's hugely important and the the way of the future. That is very cool. I would just like to point out though, that if you have a newborn child, it normally is forever. (laughs) Um, Exactly. But the sleepless what? nights and stuff do get better as my kids are older now. And I gotcha. Think, right yeah. yeah, fair enough. What's next for diabetes management? A closed loop system has long been the dream for diabetics worldwide. Are we getting any closer to that? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't talk specifics, but I know that we are getting close and I know there's a lot of research all over the world and I really believe we are getting there, um, you know, across all, all companies, all divisions. Um, it's definitely the way of the future. Mm. <laughs> there must be a lot of diabetics achieving things they wouldn't otherwise be able to achieve if it weren't for technology that's available today. Are there any personal stories about diabetics doing massive things that blow you away? For me, every type one blows me away. It's a different story, you know, um, in a different journey. And I think uh, for me personally, it doesn't matter what product people are on. I just, as long as, you know, um, I feel like I've impact or it's the way you make people feel. And I feel with my team as well, you know, it's, it's people remember how you've made them feel, not what you've said. And I think anyone that can help along that journey to help someone's life easier is where my passion lies for these patients. Very nice. How does it make you feel knowing that the company you work for is developing technology that's helping so many people stay safe? Mm. Oh, that's why I work for them. They're an amazing company. They're kind at the heart of the company and they put in so much into charities, you know, all across all the different, you know, areas, including diabetes. They're just such a kind company. They look like a big organisation on the outside, but on the inside, they just really want the right for these patients and they want to do it the right way. Very nice. So what would, you've been around diabetes a long time. What would you personally find the most challenging part of diabetes if you had the disorder yourself? I think, you know, it's, um, I could never put myself in the shoes because unless you have it, you just don't understand. And I think that's, you know, the first thing I always say, look, I have, you know, a connection, a passion because of my niece and and the people that work with me with type one, but I could never understand if, if you don't have it. But I think that day to day that it's with you forever, it's, you know, constant and there isn't a lot of a break. So that's why I'm so passionate about the long-term future of, you know, giving these people, you know, a a hybrid closed-loop system. You recently won the ANZ People Manager of the Year Award. What does it mean to you to be recognised so highly by your peers as a business leader? Oh, absolutely blown away. I think, you know, uh, a top business manager is only because of their people and I've got the most phenomenal people working for me and I feel like that award is is all of us together and I think all these people truly believe in in you know helping the lives of those living with type 1 diabetes and the rest will follow and I think that you know winning that award just solidified to me that I've just got to continue this journey that I'm so passionate on and impacting those lives and hopefully making it be- better day by day so I was absolutely beside myself and very very thrilled as you should be. <laughs> now, Lee, Everyday Greatness is a very casual chat show, not a grilling interview. So let me ask you a few personal questions and forgive me if I've got my facts wrong. But I believe one of your family is a fairly high-level sports person. How did you end up being so nice and not a competitive, ruthless, win-at-all-costs kind of person? So my dad is an Olympic athlete and he's very competitive, but my mum's a real people, warm, empathetic, kind person. And um, I'm definitely more like my mum and personality, but my dad does have a heart of gold and he, he loves animals and cries in rom-coms. So he has a side of him that is soft, that, that came out 
in my personality because I I'm definitely you know soft on the inside and, and really care about people more than I do tasks and so I think he but he is much more driven than I am what was his event at the Olympics um he's a road rider cyclist and he also was the Olympic coach and selector for New Zealand as well very, very impressive dude mm. to know did you get yeah. back to New Zealand while the trans-Tasman bubble was open during the lockdowns? I did. I did. I went back to visit my mum and dad, actually. Um, and then when I flew in, we locked down a week later. So I was very, very lucky to pop in and see them because obviously they're ageing and, you know, being in a different country, it's really challenging. But it was so lovely to see them and spoil them rotten. <laughs> and let me ask you about your parents. Are they proud of the the woman you've become, the highly regarded business leader of an international medical technology company? They're extremely proud of me and I think they're proud that I'm following my passion and that it's something in helping people because I've always been into helping people. And so I think they were just really proud that I got into an area where I really believe in it and that I am. I feel that I'm making a difference. Well, I hope I am. <laughs> so, yeah, they're really proud of me and they're really proud of my brother as well. What, what did your brother do? Um, he works for Amazon, so he's um, a sales leader in Amazon and lives in Singapore. Um, but they're really, yeah, they're really proud of him as well. Good family. When you were a little girl, Lee, women in leadership positions in business was almost unheard of and quite revolutionary. How proud are you of yourself, of the woman you've become? I'm extremely proud. Like there's I'm always looking inside and looking at the mirror and trying to make changes. Like I don't mind being wrong. So I think it's really important that we're always molding and adapting and growing and being better. I know that I'm not perfect. And I think that's the first start is being humanistic and being kind on yourself. But I am proud because I've worked really hard to find, you know, that role that, that, you know, lights a fire in me. And this is the role that I just absolutely love. And so I'm proud of being in a role that I love so much. Very nice. Let me ask you some questions about Lee Johnston, the real human being. <laughs> have you have you done any homeschooling for your children during lockdown? Um, well, I've been very, very lucky. I do have a nanny who has been helping me out. So we have had some. So it's been a bit of a juggle. Um, but they're both, my do beautiful daughters are both going back to school next week. So um, they're extremely excited about that. And I think our family are extremely relieved, but kind of sad because it's been nice to have them around. <laughs> Very nice uh, addition. Um, so how was homeschooling for you as the as the teacher? Well, um, uh, my nanny did most of it, so I would say that she's got the patience of a saint. Um, the times that I did help, it's really hard for your own children. Um, they don't really want to listen to you, but um, I've been extremely proud of both of them. They've taken it on and um, they've quite liked because they've only done half days, so they've been able to play from 12, so they're pretty excited about that. Lucky girls. So how do you juggle being a wife, a mother and a business leader all at the same time? It's a tough one, isn't it? And I think you can always get out of balance and I think it's about self-reflection and making sure that you're touching base, communicating, and I think it's not about how much time you spend with your children or husband, it's the quality time you spend with them and I think that's the most important part is making sure that your, you know, the balance is right but also that the time is quality. Well, Lee Johnson, it's been lovely having a chat to you. Thank you for joining me on Everyday Greatness. Thanks, Barnaby. I mean, uh, my pleasure. Like someone like you, so inspiring. And I, you know, I really wanted to do this for you, particularly as as you said with that sponsor, it was about she wanted to sponsor you. Well, I only want, I wanted to talk for you. 
So oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Authentic leadership shouldn't be a thing, but it is. The job of the author of a crime thriller series is to tell fictional stories about fake people in environments that are largely made up. But the job of the managing editor of television and video at ABC News is to ensure ABC journalists thoroughly research and report on issues that shape society and maintain balance, accuracy and truthfulness. The two seem diametrically opposed, but the author of The Enemy Within, who is currently writing his fourth book in the series, is also the managing director of television and video at ABC News, Tim Ayliff. Tim Ayliff is a bit like Ron Burgundy. He's kind of a big deal. Tim makes big decisions and is in charge of a lot of people, but he's also highly respected because he never tries to be somebody he's not. He just tries to be a good person every step of the way. In the interests of journalistic transparency, I should also state that Tim Aliff is my boss. So I'm one of those people who highly respect him and I thank him for joining us on Everyday Greatness. Tim, thank you and welcome. Hey Barnaby, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Before you come to work every day, do you put on a different face and adopt a particular leadership style or do you just turn up, stay yourself and deal with issues as they come up? I'd like to say I stay myself. I think that um, that your staff really, you know, look and appreciate um, seeing a human being back in them when they look at their the someone who's leading them. So for me, look, I certainly need to be, I guess, have a have a game face on in that I've got a lot of responsibilities, um, and I feel fortunate that I'm, I'm in the position I am. So I guess I have a, a deep respect for the role that I do, and more importantly, the people that are you know forming you know, the team that I'm lucky enough to lead and, and, and work in. So for me, I am always myself. I don't, you know, pretend to to be anyone else or want to emulate others. I think, um, you know, good leadership is, is recognising, you know, the, the the strong parts of yourself, but the weaknesses too. And and I don't necessarily have a problem with, with showing some of those weaknesses in myself as well because that actually helps you be a better leader and connect with your, with your team. Very nice. Was it your childhood dream to be the managing editor of television and video at ABC when you were a kid? Or did you just give your best to what was in front of you, all those small things on your plate at the time, and the ABC is where you ended up? The honest answer is a bit of both. Um, from a really young age, I, I knew that I wanted to be a journalist, but I also had this dream of um, writing novels as well. So those things for me um, ran in tandem for quite a while, um, but it drove me towards sort of humanities and the arts um, in in my studies. And for a while, you know, I knew journalism was the was the, the first path I had to take because writing books was was always going to be a much longer slog and probably a, a, a more risky path. Um, but I loved telling stories either way. I loved um, investigating them, and I loved journalism I'm really interested in the world as it is now and, and where it's going and the reasons for for that so journalism was the obvious path I was writing for magazines while I was still a teenager and um, and then going through university volunteer writing for for newspapers and and in fact when I finished my studies I just bought a one-way ticket for London I'd had enough of a portfolio where I thought I'll have a crack and see if uh, someone would recognize that I'd, I'd got enough journalism skills to be able to 
to get a job. And and I was lucky enough to 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 do that. I worked for Sky News UK for about four years, but but I started on the bottom rung of the ladder there as a script runner on the news desk. And I think that um, that pathway literally from making people coffee has put me in good stead to really understand the way news organisations work um, and really respect the path to, to, to leadership. As a corporate leader, do you find it odd that authentic leadership is a thing? Shouldn't everybody just be who they are every second of the day? I think so, but I'm not sure that for a long time they taught that in MBA courses and also, not that I've done an MBA, but, but in MBA courses and also in some of those sectors that are, you know, that, are, that have the leaders that are running, for instance, you know, corporate companies that they were very male dominated with, I guess, men um, emulating other, other men in those roles, um, which has probably been one of the issues in terms of why it's taken so long for, for us to see more of a diverse workforce and also... Um, particularly women being given those same opportunities in leadership, it's a harder, a harder pathway for them. So it doesn't surprise me that there was, I guess, inauthentic leadership for a long time. But the best leaders that I think, particularly with the tech revolution that we've seen over the last two decades, bring on is that uh, it's it's brought on a, a lot more, I guess, different leadership styles and and welcome those too. So I think in in leadership positions, I actually think people want to be inspired. And I think that um, the majority of of any leader's job is actually to be communicating um, with teams and and surrounding them with people that are are really you know really good, ambitious, and good at doing the things. Sometimes that um, the leader actually doesn't like as much doing themselves. Did you have leadership mentors yourself when you started out in leadership at the ABC? And who were they and what did they teach you? I did. I think I didn't, in a way, actively go out looking for a mentor for quite a while. I loved watching other leaders and, and, and seeing their styles and how they led. Um, Kate Tawney, who was a um, the director of news for seven years at the ABC, she was also my boss before that um, when I was working in a small team, the Asia Pacific Network in, in Melbourne. Um, doing um, news bulletins um, for international audiences at the AB- from the ABC. Uh, she was an early boss for me. Um, she had this great approach, which was really empowering the people below her to make decisions and to get them to lead. And I thought that was a really, really pragmatic way to be a leader, but to inspire your people as well. Because by doing that, you know, she gave me a chance and she made me believe in myself. Um, she made me make decisions and then have to be accountable to those decisions. And she was really supportive in, in that path for me in learning, um, but also in getting me to step up, in many ways, getting me to step up before I was ready because I ended up um, being part of the team that, um, that uh, put together and, and then launched ABC News Breakfast. Um, and after a, less than a year of that show on air, I took over as executive producer and I, I was only just around 30 at the time and, and that was a really big opportunity for me that, you know, she recognised in me that I, I had that potential and um, I don't know whether I would get that job now. Um, at that age, I think the program is, is matured and is, a, is a, a, such an important plank of what we do here at the ABC now, but I was young and given that opportunity then and I, I took it with both hands and, and ran with it. So for me, that's where I learned a lot of leadership. And during that time, um, you know, Kate had also put me through um, a leadership course and 
I then sought out, I was asked through that course um, to select a mentor and through this this um, course they gave us a list of names of people and sort of asked us to look at them and, and see if there was someone on that list. And I had a quick glance at the list and then I thought, I'm going to go outside the ABC. I'm going to go looking for someone that's always inspired me because I want to hear about a different approach. And so I just approached Rod McQueen, who the former Wallabies coach that won the 99 World Cup, who'd um, moved to Melbourne to set up the Melbourne Rebels um, after a, a period out of the sport. And I just sent him an, an email and, and told him who I was and what I, what I was doing and, and that I was keen to learn from him. And I was really incredibly lucky that he said yes. And, and I spent a year with him just catching up sort of once a month or so and we would have a meal or, or just have a coffee and I'd just pick his brain. It was very much an informal kind of uh, uh, sessions I'd have with him. But just in those conversations, I learned so much. Um, I learned about thinking outside the box I learn about making sure to, to make time to, as he would say, smell the roses. And for me, being able to, you know, pick the brain of such a, an incredible guy who was such an incredible leader and, 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 and um, ahead of his time in terms of what he was doing with rugby at the Brumbies and then on with the Wallabies, for me, I was incredibly fortunate that he said yes to that. It must have been a very enjoyable lunch. would have been hard to keep your gushing fan quiet. Yeah, it was a it was a bit, but look, you know, Rod, Rod's also a guy that he's 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 busy, you know. So if you, you're there, you've got a certain amount of time with him, and and you've got a certain amount of time to ask the questions and and, and get the answers from him. Um, so you know, for me, there wasn't really time to sit there and tell him how you know incredible I thought he was. It was really to to pick his brain, and 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 so as I said, um, he, he taught me a lot, and some of those lessons really have stayed with me. Every business leader needs to express disappointment in an employee from time to time. How do you handle that? Do you yell and scream and abuse or do you try and gently explain what needs to be done better next time? When, when you have problems, um, the best person to recognise the problem is, is not actually the leader. It's the person who has contributed to that problem or, you know, has, um, you know, caused to be able to, a reason to be improving and doing something better. So for me, I, I look delivering difficult messaging and 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 um, you know giving someone a truth that they might not want to hear is really important. But framed in a way that it makes them realise that by realising this problem exists, that they're going to be out, they're going to be a better better at their job by trying to address it. So you know delivering difficult news and bad bad news as it's never enjoyable. Um, but you can't shirk that stuff. And I think often by asking a lot of questions around whether performance or whether something's working or not, um, and then uh, getting them to answer those questions and, and being honest with themselves actually en enables you to deal with those problems in a way that actually isn't you sitting there telling them off. It's, it's them recognising something about their performance and what they're doing that needs to improve. People often talk these days about a disease to please in business where they'd rather say nothing at all instead of upsetting somebody. How do you frame bad news when you have to deliver it yourself? Well, look, as I was just touched on then, really it's around questions. Um, do you think this worked well? Do you think that um, that uh, we're as organised or as effective in, 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 in the way we went about that task? You know, if you're talking about a specific program, starting with what do you think worked well and what do you think didn't work well 
and then quickly you're going to get to the okay well why didn't it work well and then okay how do we do it better next time so i mean that's it may sound quite obvious but i think it's allowing the person to lead that conversation in a way so um, and by lead it, I mean that as, as long as you're there, I guess, asking the questions and getting them to see things in a really practical sense, then you're going to get to where you need, which is you're going to address the problem and you're going to address the, the, the difficult situation you're in. And you may have just answered this question in that answer, but how do you prefer bad news to be given to you from other employees? Do you prefer them just to rip the bandaid off and get it out there or try and hide it behind reasonable news? I think any news um, delivered respectfully uh, can be um, always, you know, delivered. There's no, there's no issue with me if someone's, you know, got an issue with with something. Maybe I mean I, I make mistakes, um, and I think it's important that I make mistakes. That you know people see that, but then they also see me recognizing that and then saying, "Well, I'll do better next time," or, or this is you know how we're going to do things next time because this didn't work so well. So I think um, that, look, just don't shirk it, confront things, don't, don't let little problems lie because they'll only get worse. Very true. Let me ask you about diversity and inclusion at the ABC. The ABC is very well known for giving the less obvious minority groups a chance when other organisations possibly wouldn't. Do you have to prove the predicted financial benefit of being diverse and inclusive to ABC management? On that question, I, I, I think that um, a diverse workforce is actually going to deliver more for audiences. So we're in the, in the storytelling game in, in news. We, we tell stories. That's, our, that's what we do. We, we try to deliver good news and bad news. We, we frame our, um, the, the way our, our journalism is always, you know, impartial and accurate. Uh, we strive for that. I think that in the terms of the way we, we make up our teams, if they are not diverse, then we're going to miss stories. We're going to miss perspectives that are really important for audiences. So for a very long time, um, media organisations, including the ABC, um, didn't do a good enough job on ensuring a really diverse you know, workforce, whether that's socioeconomic diversity or that's, um, I guess, cultural diversity as well. So I think that's been really, really important part of what we do um that's including people with disabilities as well um that we we can always find roles for people who are good at what they do and being good at what they do doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do that job exactly the same as someone else in fact you want different people in your team so that your entire team is thinking about a broader audience than just themselves, just the people that they're spending time with, that they grew up with, maybe some of the educational institutions they went through. So diversity actually is there to improve what you do, to improve like the outcomes, so the output that we do, whether it's on television, on digital and in other places, that um, having a diverse workforce, having a diversity of opinions is really important for our for us to be able to do our job well because if we don't, we're effectively shutting off an entire you know part of the population. We're telling them that that they don't matter as much and that the stories that they care about we don't care about. So diversity actually helps us to do a better job at, at, at delivering for a, a, the entire country. Incredibly well said. How difficult 
has the COVID-19 pandemic been as a business leader? You must be witnessing some really sad situations. How do you keep your staff motivated? Well, just it's not just my job in a way. It's, it's all of ours. So looking out for each other. Um, we've tried to build a flexibility into the way we're working at the moment that enables people to tap out when they need a little bit of time to tap out. Um, you know, we learned a lot from the Melbourne lockdown last year about how to run teams and how to communicate and that I think FaceTime is really important and I'm, I've been trying to do that. I mean, with, with the essential worker directive that's from the New South Wales government, it's made it harder for a lot of people to work in the office at, at, at Ultima, at the ABC. For me, I, I am on the essential worker list, but the idea is that if you can do your job from home, you should do it from home. Well, I've always tried to do part of my day in at Ultima, whether it's um, the afternoon or staying, I'm starting to spend a few more days in there. In terms of looking after our staff and, and the way we work together, there are many, many people that are doing that and doing a great job at it. I think that a good leader recognises the strength in the leaders within his team and, and during these times it's really, it's really pleasing to see those people step up and want to contribute. And by leader, it doesn't mean to be someone who's running a team. It can be, just, it can be anyone within the team that's got an idea on how to uh, help the team you know, lift up, have a laugh, forget about work for a moment and have something a bit maybe fun in the workplace. Workplaces always and are and always have been in some ways like families. So for us, we recognise that, you know, people have been struggling. We know that it's difficult. And I think recognising that, but also making sure that you're on the end of the phone or you're asking lots of questions and checking in with people um, has been one of the key things that we've been doing as a team. And I, I don't think that we've absolutely nailed it. I, I don't think you can. You can just do your best and you've got to recognise you can do your that All you can do is your best. And also just to be working with your team on, on thinking about, you know, ways to, to be able to stay in touch with the broader team and make sure that, you know, everyone has got someone to talk to because I think this pandemic this lockdown, this very long lockdown we're in at the moment in Sydney and and Melbourne as well and, and the ACT, and it's been in various other parts of the country at times, that people rely on sometimes work for for their some enjoyment but and, and to be able to connect to people. So it's making sure that um, we know that that's also part of why people are continuing to come to work. And then there's the other part of it, which is, We've got a really important job to do right now at the ABC. And recognising it, it does give you this, I guess, sense of um, responsibility that you've got to, to be there to, um, to be able to inform the public about what's going on and making sure that the, the facts of the matter are out there. We've seen a lot of misinformation around and I think the ABC has been doing a pretty good job at making sure that we're, we're staying on the right side of that and, and, and making sure that people have the, 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 the necessary information they need throughout this pandemic to be able to, to feel supported and in some ways to be, to be given some hope. So I guess from a leadership point of view, it's a longer answer that I've given you, but there are many people that get to step up and lead. So it's, it's encouraging people to, to do that so that you're not just trying to do that all yourself, but also knowing that you can't do it all yourself that you do need other people. You need other people to step up and it's been encouraging for me to see so many people do that from within my team. When you've got that much wisdom, Tim, you can let your answers go as long as you like. Now, before I let you go, I need to ask you about your 
book series, The Enemy Within. You've just released your third book, which has gone on a national book launch, smack bang in the middle of, of a global pandemic and huge lockdowns around Australia. Tell me, this isn't the ABC, so tell me about the book. Give it a plug. So, look, um, about four years ago, um, I, well, about five years, I turned my hand to, to writing crime thrillers. Um, I love it. It's a nice escape from the ABC. But the books I write, um, it's, this, it's part of a series. They're all standalone books. And so my key character, John Bailey, um, is the key guy running through them. Um, with these books, I think that with fiction, you can actually get much closer to the truth, um, as funny as that sounds. And I, you know, feel like I'm betraying my, my other role at the ABC, saying I'm getting more to the truth in fiction. But what I mean by that is you get to, you get to create a story around, you know, a big topic. And with my first book, The Greater Good, that topic was Australia caught in the US-China uh, power struggle. That book was inspired by a conversation I had in the US once um, with a State Department official who asked me whether I ever thought there could be a day when Australia could turn its back on the United States in favour of a closer relationship with China. And that got me thinking around the what-ifs. And that's where that book came from. The second book, State of Fear, was around Islamic extremism and uh, terrorism. And my latest book has um, got two main themes, which is um, white supremacists and the, the, the far-right nationalist movement um, that's been you know, pushed all around the world the last five or so years. And Boss of Asia about 18 months ago gave a speech saying that white supremacy was one of the biggest new sort of concerns for intelligence and, and security forces in Australia that, and they were investing a lot of money and, and people and resources into dealing with it. And then the second plot line in this book is the idea of abuse of power. I was sitting at my desk in the ABC News Channel a couple of years ago when the AFP came into the building and they were brandishing a warrant to raid the ABC looking for the source of a couple of some stories that a couple of ABC journalists had been working on. And they had this warrant that, that gave them the power to alter, delete or copy or change the ABC's files in the course of that search for this source. And I found that quote, in the, in, the, in the police warrant that was used to raid the, the ABC, incredibly disturbing. So I thought, what a great plot line for a crime thriller. I mean, that is literally a power that is there go into the wrong hands. And I'm not for a second saying there are bad eggs within the Australian Federal Police, but that power in a, in a warrant granted to the wrong person, that's not a bad plot line for a crime thriller. Does sound very tremendous. Tim, thank you so much for joining me on Everyday Greatness and sharing your pearls of wisdom. Thanks, Barnaby. It's been fun. Thank you, Tim, and thank you to Lee earlier. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the ARA Group for being the major sponsor of Everyday Greatness for the fourth year in a row. Thank you to Look Studio Australia for recording this podcast. And I hope that when you put your device down in a little while, you lift your head up, push your shoulders back, and walk down the street proud of being an everyday Joe Bag of Donuts. I hope you can join me next episode where I'll be speaking to the General Manager of Snacks at Nestle Australia, Susan Catania, and the Head of Companion Animal Business at Bowring Ingelheim, Michael Cousins. I'll be speaking to them both about authentic leadership in business. If you'd like to find out more about that episode, today's episode, or Everyday Greatness in general, go to our website, everydaygreatness.com.au, or follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening.